Well, good morning. Once upon a time, there were two groups of people living in land next to one another. And these two groups of people saw themselves as being very different. Group one thought that they were very different from group two and vice versa. In reality, they were actually very similar. They had a lot of things in common. But you could say that they were in the same religion with different denominations. Even their heritage was the same. They were of the same ethnicity, just living in different lands. Yet all they could see were their differences. And so they were enemies. These two groups had a long history of not getting along, not treating each other very nicely. They would fight over land. Travelers from one group in the other group's land would, would be beaten and, and uh, harassed. They would sneak into the other group's place of worship and, and scatter bones. Even whole villages would be burned. These two groups of people are the Jews and the Samaritans. Today we're talking about what it means to love our enemy. How do we do that? And this is another unpopular teaching of Jesus that I wanted to tackle today. This is a particularly hard one, right? It's, it's not just the subject, not the content of it, but the fact that we're so familiar with this idea of love your enemies. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard this concept, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so I think the more familiar we are with scripture, sometimes we become more jaded to it. It, sums, it, it can become something that we know we're supposed to do, but rarely actually do. So I want to look at the context in which Jesus says, love your enemies. We're going to dig into the scripture there, there and then really dig into what it means. Love your enemies. So that's what we're talking about today. Uh, we're going to have some fun with it. Before we do that, I want to play our quick little game that we played last week or uh, two weeks ago uh, where I'm going to share an unpopular opinion of mine. And I want you to give me a thumbs up if you agree with my opinion, thumbs down if you disagree. So, and these are real opinions that I have about just silly things, life. And so I want you to give me a thumbs up if you agree, thumbs down if you disagree. Sound good? All right, number one, Thanksgiving is greater than Christmas. Some, yeah, mixed, mixed reviews here, yeah. All right, number two, Mom, I'm sorry. Making the bed is pointless. Thumbs up from a lot of guys I'm noticing. <laughs> yeah. Number three, the Beatles, the band, the Beatles are overrated. <laughs> I get some booze on that one. I heard that first service too. I'm not saying they're not talented, they're good, they're songwriters and all that. I'm just saying people get a little crazy about the Beatles, right? <laughs> That's right. And number four, pineapple does not belong on pizza. Booze and hisses and yeah, all right. Well, good, good. Uh, you know, the last week, Trey, I may need to ask them for their unpopular opinions. It might be a little dangerous, though. We'll keep it not political. <laughs> well, it's fun. You know, we've got these unpopular opinions, right? And, and we all have them. Uh, but the truth is, Jesus had some unpopular opinions, too. And the, the reality of it, as Christians, we kind of have to put our unpopular opinions to the wayside and realize that his unpopular teaching uh, triumphs our opinions. 
And so it's important that we approach all these scriptures, these, these ones that are hard to understand, maybe offensive to us. It's important to approach these scriptures with humility. You know, last time we talked about uh, how to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. And I think someone who is doing that, earnestly trying to do that every day, I think someone who's doing that can really begin to read hard scriptures. And instead of pointing a finger at scripture and saying something's not right here, instead that person can say something's not right here. There are parts of our, our heart and our being that are still unyielded to God. And, and, that, and so when we come to these scriptures that are hard to understand, hard to, to wrestle with, I think it's important to come from a place of humility and say something's not right here. So let's read our first scripture today, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. This is Jesus speaking. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So let's talk about what that means. Uh, first of all, let's set the context. Jesus is here, and, and this is part of his Sermon on the Mount, you may know. And this is still at a point in Jesus' ministry when he's got thousands of people following him. He's, he's attracted great crowds through his miracles and through his, his uh, unconventional, his profound teaching. And so Matthew, the author of this gospel, is specifying that there are people from all over, from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and even beyond the Jordan River. And so Jesus, walking, sees the great crowd following him. He goes up the mountain with his disciples, and he sits down, and he begins teaching the crowd. And he teaches on subjects like hate in our heart, adultery, divorce, the importance of our word meaning something. And now he's talking about love your enemies. This is the sixth time that Jesus has said, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And so the question that I asked was like, well, who, from who are they hearing this from? Because we don't find this in scripture. There's never a command to say, hate your enemies. In fact, Jesus' call to love your enemy is an extension of the Mosaic law found in Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So scholars believe that this was a teaching that was coming from the Pharisees, the, the spiritual leaders of Jesus' day, and, and they had twisted the scripture in a way that was furthering this us versus them mentality that we see between the Jews and and the Samaritans. So Jesus is contradicting the standard of what was being taught at that time, and he's wanting people to know that his followers are called to a higher standard. He says, I want you to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. And I love that he just doesn't make this statement, but that he models it for us. Think about the cross. What does he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. He's praying for those who are persecuting him. He's interceding on our behalf. Imagine if we could take that perspective with our enemies and, 
and say, God, they have hurt me deeply. They have persecuted me over and over. But I'm gonna pray for them because they're doing this because they don't know who they are. They don't know what they're doing. And if they knew you, they wouldn't be doing this. Verse 45, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I think this is an example of God's care and God's provision for all people, good and evil. He does not discriminate based on behavior. Does this bother you too, or is it just me? I mean, this I, I read this, and I'm, I'm like, it doesn't quite line up with my worldview. You know, we can think, I'm a good Christian, I'm not perfect, but I try my best, and you're telling me I'm not getting any kind of special treatment? I don't get a little extra care and protection? The answer is no. God is not a transactional God, and although there are blessings in Christ, and we do find favor and obedience, and the best kind of life is a life with Christ, the truth is we're not guaranteed any kind of special treatment that God loves and cares and provides for all people, good and bad. I believe Jesus is saying this because there was a sense of arrogance among the Jews, you know. Uh, they knew that they were God's chosen people and, and they kind of had a tendency to look down on uh, uh, the rest of the world, us Gentiles. And Jesus is saying, yes, he's promised to provide for you, but he also provides for them too. So Jesus is saying his father's care is for everyone. And so this next statement, he's setting it up and he's raising the bar of expectation. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not a, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? You may know uh, tax collectors were uh, not known for, for their honesty. They were seen by Jews as traitors to the Roman government. And so the question Jesus poses here is, how hard is it really to love those who love you? To only be around your own people, to, to only be around people who think and look and talk like you do. Even those who don't follow me can do that. He's saying, I'm beckoning you to something higher, something greater that's gonna help you grow in faith and love and give you life. Finally, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, perfect here does not mean sinless. It means being like God, pursuing God. John Wesley would call this being perfected in love. Perfected in love. And that's what we're talking about today, right? Love your enemies. And so that's our uh, passage. That's our context of what Jesus is saying here. Love your enemies. Now, let's really dig into what this means. It's something we say and hear, but, but have you really thought about it recently, about what that means? You probably know love does not refer to a feeling. It's not a passing emotion. Love is an action. The Greek word here used is agape. Agape can be defined as a behavior marked by charity and empathy for others. A behavior marked by charity and empathy for others. I love that it's a behavior and not a feeling. God's not asking us to feel kind toward our enemies, to feel lovey-dovey feelings. He's asking us to behave with empathy and kindness, charity and compassion to those who mistreat us. 
He's saying how we treat others is the most important outward thing about us. Every time, almost every time I, I have a great time of prayer, um, and you know, five kids, a lot going on at our house, it's rare that I have un- uninterrupted prayer time. But when I do go into that deep place, that secret place with the Lord, uh, I, I find myself, you know, trying to seek God and and give him more of myself and all that is good and all that is important and a, a part of prayer. But every time God says, good, now go. I know you love me. Now go and do something about it. You think of the conversation between Peter and Jesus. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. What does Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. There's so much meaning in that conversation of reconciliation and calling, but at the root of it, Jesus is saying, I know you love me. Now go do something about it. What you do matters. What we do, church, matters. Proverbs 25, verses 21 through 22. I love this scripture. If your enemies are hungry, give them bread to eat. And if they're thirsty, give them water to drink. For you will heap coals of fire on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. As I was thinking about this idea of loving my enemy, I remembered this scripture. And I love that it says, when I show kindness to my enemies, it's like I'm heaping burning coals on their head. And I'm like, yes, I love that when I show my enemies kindness, it's like I'm burning their scalp by being kind. It's like I'm shaming them and making them see their wrongdoing. That's not what it means. As I researched and dug in this week, that's not at all what that passage means. You see, it was customary back then. You needed a fire going at all times in your in your house. And if your coals in your fire went cold, you grabbed a bucket, put it on your head, and walked through the villages and asked your neighbors for some of their hot coals so that you could get your fire started again. And so what God is saying here in the scripture is, I'm taking your kindness and I'm not shaming your enemies. I'm multiplying your kindness. You're not heaping burning coals on their head. You're heaping burning coals on their head. What about Psalm 23, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. John Weaver shared about this years ago, and it's just always stuck with me. He talked about this, and I always thought this too. You know, it, that picture, I thought it was like uh, a feast that the Lord has prepared for me, and my enemies are sitting there watching me eat this feast, and they're embarrassed, and I'm like, ha, 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 victorious meal, you know, in front of my enemies. But the truth is, guess what? The enemies are at the table too, and they're partaking in the feast. That God is giving us an opportunity here to reconcile with our enemies. He's calling us to unity among all people. He's not giving us permission for vindication and, and, re- and revenge and all the things that we feel like we need. He's calling us higher, something greater, reconciliation and, and unity. Church, if we're really serious about following Christ, there's no room in our hearts anger and animosity, bitterness and resentment toward our enemies. We've got to deal with that stuff. 
and know that he's preparing a table for us with our enemies. He's saying, I've prepared everything. I've given you every opportunity you could ever want. Let's make this right. We can come to an understanding here. So now I have to consider that God is one, caring for my enemies just as well as he cares for me and my family. And number two, when I show kindness, he's multiplying it to my enemies. And when God prepares this table, that he's, off, he's offering an opportunity to reconcile. And God isn't asking anything of me that he himself hasn't done. Remember, he was on the cross interceding on behalf of all the people, the very people who put him there. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so in light of all these things, my excuses fall to the ground. All of my longing for vindication and revenge goes away. And I can finally learn to love with an agape love. That's loving your enemies. Now let's talk about the enemy. I think it's important that we talk about who that is and who it isn't. I would categorize enemy into a few different categories. Number one, enemy one is those who hurt me. Those who hurt me. Chances are that if I were to ask you to, to think of someone who has hurt you deeply, you would have a name or a face come to mind immediately. Someone from your past or maybe someone who's currently hurting you emotionally, physically, mentally. I need you to know that Jesus is asking you to forgive that person, to love them, to show them kindness, and to pray for them, not because they deserve it, but because you deserve it. You deserve to be set free. And I'm not talking about toxic relationships. I'm not talking about abuse. That is a very unique and complex situation. But the truth is, God is always wanting reconciliation. Maybe you're not there yet emotionally, and that's okay, but I think we have a responsibility to acknowledge that and to pray that God would give us the desire to forgive this person, to love them, and to say, God, what they did, what they're doing is not right, but that doesn't change me. That doesn't change who I am and who I'm being called to. Something I've learned about myself just within the last year is that I write people off too quickly. Just being honest, I write people off too quickly. You hurt me, you betray me, or whatever, and I've had people in my past, deep friendships in my past that, that I felt a sense of betrayal and rejection, and so guess what I did? I rejected them. You know, it was this, you know, do to me and I'll do to you too type attitude. And so I just stopped being friends with, with them and, and told myself that I was setting up boundaries, right? I think we use that as an excuse sometimes, setting up boundaries. That's not setting up a boundary. That's killing the relationship. That's destroying the bond, the unity between two brothers, two sisters. And again, toxic relationships and all of that, you know, each situation is unique, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but I think, church, we need to, to learn to, to reconcile more to be quick to forgive and quick to love and show kindness, even when our feelings are hurt, even when we feel betrayed. Enemy number two, I think we could say enemy number two is myself. Maybe you've said or heard, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my biggest critic. I get in my own way. I've said all these things. 
Earlier, I mentioned that the way we treat others is the most important external thing about us. The thoughts we hold is the most important internal thing about us. I can't afford to have thoughts in my head about myself that God does not have in his head about me. Does that make sense? Andrew Peterson is uh, one of my favorite songwriters. He uh, he wrote Is He Worthy, a song that we've sung here a bunch. And uh, uh, he's just a really great songwriter. And, and uh, he has this song, he's called Be Kind to Yourself. And it's, it's a song that he wrote because he saw his daughter struggling with some self-loathing tendencies. And, and she would be really hard on herself when she would make a mistake. And as a father, you know, it grieves you when you see your kids do that. And so he wrote this song, and I love what the bridge says. How does it end? When the war that you're in is you against you against you, you've got to learn to love your enemies too. Sometimes the enemy is the inner me. It's the enemy within. It's, it, we, we really struggle with our own thoughts about ourselves and we're holding ourselves back. And so the truth is our call, this call from Jesus to love our enemies includes loving ourselves. The false enemy, there's another category, the false enemy is those I disagree with. Someone you disagree with is not your enemy. Democrats, Republicans are not the enemy. Republicans, Democrats are not the enemy. We're called to unify, we're called to love and, and to be loved. The root of what divides us today politically is the same root that divided the Jews and the Samaritans. They had so much in common, yet all they could see were their differences. And so they were enemies, and they fought for generations. They had more in common with each other than they had different, yet they were unable to see. And finally, the real enemy, I think, the real enemy we're looking at the whole of scripture, I think the real enemy is sin. I think about Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and in the heavenly realms. That's where our struggle is, church. That's where we meet. We see things in the physical way, right? But there's a spiritual undertone that's happening in every conversation, every interaction, every struggle. That's where the war is fought and won or lost. When Megan and I were engaged, uh, there was a good friend of ours, a uh, much wiser man than myself, gave us some great marriage advice. He said, when you and Megan fight, when you have a struggle, I want you to write the struggle down on a piece of paper. I want you to sit down at the kitchen table, side by side, and put the paper across the table from the two of you. He said, it's just a way to remember that the problem is not Megan. The problem is not you. It's the problem. And you need to address it together as a team and keep it across the table. I love that. That's the real enemy here is the problem. Let's keep the problem the problem, not one another. I believe part of what Jesus is getting at and teaching us to love our enemies is to realize that people are not the enemy 
I am not my own worst enemy. The sin nature, this part of me that is still in rebellion to God, that's the enemy. In closing, I want to make one more quick point. It's important to remember our position in all of this and this idea of loving our enemies. I think we need to maybe stay humble a little bit and remember that um, God has enemies. God has enemies too. And, and when I thought about that, you may think about the big bad guys in the Old Testament, the Philistines and the Assyrians and all those guys who were kind of at war with the Israelites. But the truth is, guess who's God's enemy? Us. We were God's enemy. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Maybe it's not so much us who are the enemy, but it's that sin nature, that struggle, that part of us that is unsurrendered to God. And there's a sin nature in all of us, yet God still chose to love us and save us. He's not asking anything of us that he hasn't himself done. And he went to the cross while we were yet sinners. George Woodruff says, the test of Christianity is not loving Jesus, it's loving Judas. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus, it's loving Judas. In other words, if you've signed on to this Christian faith, you love Jesus, we know that, and that's so crucial and that's important. But the test, where the rubber meets the road, the test is, do you love Judas? Do you love your enemies, the people you have nothing in common with, the people who have hurt you deeply? Do you love yourself, the parts that you don't like? Are you willing to surrender your pride and your hurt, your pain, to truly love your enemies? Whatever that looks like, I think that's what we're being called to today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, you came and died for us. That's proven your love. I thank you that you don't call us to this high standard and just leave us on our own, but that you equip us with everything we need the fruits and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray what would fall right now in this room. God, you're asking us to do something that you've done. May we not see each other as the enemy. May we not see those with whom we disagree as the enemy, but God, that we would be unified and that we would bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're gonna sing one song. Uh, this is the altar call. The altar is open for any who want prayer. I think Trey's gonna be here to pray with you if you want that. Uh, but this is a great opportunity for setting the table for you to have a moment with the Lord, whatever that looks like for you.